immersive audio podcast in conversation with industry thought leaders, practitioners, artists, academics, and entrepreneurs discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry from art, science, and business to practical insights and project case studies. We aim to inform, educate, explore, and unite the community. In this episode of the Immersive Audio Podcast, Oliver Cadell is joined by Helena McGill and Anna Washnovich of Nocturnal via Skype. Nocturnal is an audio post-production studio based in Los Angeles. Co-founders Helena and Anna are visual storytellers with a background in sound design for narrative film. In this episode, they chat about the beginning of Nocturnal, the advancement of the immersive technology, and talk about the importance of diversity in the creative industries. Helena McGill, Anna Vojnevich, welcome to the Immersive Audio Podcast. How are you today? Good. Thank you for having us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. As far as I understand, uh, you're calling in from LA and it's morning time. Yes, that's correct. It's bright and early. Still got our coffee. And it's just as hot as in LA at the moment in London. It's absolutely boiling. I would say it's better here, but it's not. We're boiling too and it's only 10 a.m. So it's only downhill (laughs) from here. Whereabouts are you? In the studio? Home? What are you up to at the moment? Yeah, uh, we're in our office right now uh, in Hollywood, um, where we work out of most of the time. Um, we do most of our mixing in headphones, actually, so we don't have you know the traditional studio setup that is normally associated with, with audio studios. Mm-hmm. Um, but we keep it pretty lean and mean out here, and it allows us to be pretty flexible in, in where we work out of. Definitely makes sense uh, when it comes to working on binaural audio. Makes life a bit easier. You can have uh, multiple people working in the same space without distracting each other. All right, guys. Um, So uh, let's get started. Uh, Can you please fully introduce yourself and tell us about what you do? Yeah. So I'm Helena McGill. I'm Anna Wozniewicz. And we are interactive and spatial uh, audio engineers and designers. We met back in undergrad. We both mm-hmm. attended Chapman University's film school. Um, yeah, and we kind of just became friends first, and we were both audio engineers. And then we both sort of got into the immersive realm um, around the same time. And, um, you know, after working a couple of years freelance and being kind of jaded on the whole uh, traditional film <laughs> Sound film thing. and Hollywood route, yeah. Yeah, we were like, oh, immersive's cool. This is a great uh, other avenue. And it was, you know, it was like 2016. Things were just getting started um, in LA on that end. And from there, we just kind of, um, I would say that was the beginning of everything. Yeah, we had the chance to work on um, Chapman University's first VR production, uh, which pulled together a lot of. Um, Local, spon- local tech sponsors, and they kind of made it into a big deal. And so we just happened to be on the sound team for that. Mm-hmm. Didn't really know what we were signing up for, <laughs> um, but knew that it was this new format. And, um, you know, this was before any of the, you know, major software tools had come out. Mm-hmm. And so we 
really struggled to find solutions for things. Um, yeah, it was like version 1.1 of the, like the Facebook spatializer, which I don't know if you're familiar history with. At this yeah, point, if but. you had ever used, but it's it's not. <laughs> But it was definitely the dawn of a of a new era, and when when we went to the premiere event of that, you know, put the headset on and were able to listen back to our spatial mix for the you know first time with the visuals all, and mm-hmm. it was just a it was a game changing moment, mm-hmm. and I think that's what really opened our eyes and got us excited about the possibilities of spatial audio and how it provided an, an entirely new dimension of creativity and flexibility from just traditional media. And just going back even further, um, what was the kind of very first experience with immersive audio or say maybe virtual reality experience uh, with a good example of immersive audio that kind of caught your attention and made you think about how you approach audio post-production and sound design differently? Yeah, so even uh, I think a year or two before... Uh, this VR production that we were on, I was at um, an incubator event down in Orange County. Mm -hmm. And this was kind of the first uh, introduction I had to VR technology at all. And so it was a bunch of startups, very scrappy, but I clearly remember there was this one group that had done a live, they had prototyped um, some sort of hardware that they kind of jerry-rigged into a pair of headphones. And so you could sit down and you could watch the uh, racing, the pod racing scene from Star Wars. Um, And depending on how you turned your head to the right or the left in orientation to the screen, it would render that binaural mix in real time. So that was kind of the first spatial audio demo that I had ever experienced. Um, And it was was very exciting to see because I feel like with these new technologies, the first thing that takes off or the first experience that gains the most traction is something that's heavy on the visuals or mm-hmm. heavy on, you know, the the game engine integration side of things. Um, but this was something that was taking an older piece of media or a classic film and using this technology to further heighten your experience in a way that you hadn't seen it or heard it before. Yeah. I think for me, it wasn't even VR related. It was, um, I, I think I just came across a a binaural mix of something on YouTube or, you know, just one of those, like, sound effects um, tracks, you know, some really janky track. And (laughs) I remember listening to it and being like, oh, my God, this is, it sounds like real life. This is so cool. And from there, it was like, oh, okay, you can use binaural, um, you know, rendering uh, to for VR and 360, and then there's all these other applications, and you know that's where it's coming back. And it's crazy because this technology has been around forever, but only recently um, caught my attention, and I think has gotten into more of the mainstream audio. Definitely, and to go from you know, I didn't have any sort of music background or anything before going to university. So for me to discover audio first and to fall in love with that, you know, just first, you know, mixing for stereo, then leveling up to 5.1 and higher order, um, and then to find these non-traditional mixing formats, mm-hmm. I think it it opened my eyes um, and it became more of an art form at that point. Definitely. And what was your original degree in? And was it quite close to what you're doing in the moment? Or did it cover any ground on immersive or uh, spatial audio? Yeah. Um, so we were both film production majors at Chapman and with an emphasis in sound design. So we kind of learned all the basics of filmmaking and of sound design specifically. Um, 
for uh, narrative or 2D content. And I think it definitely laid a groundwork for us. You know, we learned how to edit, how to mix, how to record, how to do all the, sort of the basics. And then beyond that, you know, how to creatively sound design something and how to creatively mix. And, uh, you know, I would say without that foundation, we definitely would not have been able to just jump into immersive or 360 quite so easily because mm -hmm. it, it definitely requires that base knowledge. Yeah, to build off of. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. that being said, we we were not introduced to any sort of fringe technology or, or non-traditional mixing techniques at that point. It was still very standardized mm -hmm. and... Um, the pipeline was definitely built in order, you know, for us to be able to go into the entertainment industry and go that route. Right. So um, all of these things became, you know, side projects or personal explorations mm -hmm. um, that a lot of the students actually became pretty uh, passionate about. And so we kind of uh, built off of each other's excitement mm -hmm. for these for the new formats that were coming out. Tell us about your company. What led to the creation of Nocturnal and how has the company grown and developed since its creation? Yeah, it's kind of a funny story actually because after that initial um, VR experience that we were on the sound team for, uh, we just became enamored with, with VR and uh, 360 film and emerging technologies. And so we were, we were actually working for Avid um, at NAM that year. I think it was January of 2017. And um, we were kind of the Red Bull girls running around with iPads and getting people to sign up for their for the new Pro Tools and whatnot. And we were working to get a free copy of Pro Tools ourselves, <laughs> so hustling that way. But we were standing there and we had been talking about, you know, um, everything that had been happening in the industry from, from even the last couple of months mm -hmm. and how we were both... Um, we were like, this is the next thing. Like, we really want to get into this. Mm -hmm. And so we were standing there on the floor at NAM, and we ended up buying a uh, domain name right when we were standing there working for Avid. And so that was, I guess, the unofficial official start mm -hmm. to Nocturnal. There was never really that moment where we sat down and we really thought about it and had a discussion, it kind of just happened. Right. It was kind of like, okay, we bought a domain name. What's next? All right, great. We got to register our LLC. Yeah. Like, let's do this. And I, I don't think that there ever was a moment where Helena and I were like, hold on, should we go into business together? Like, is this happening? Are we, you know, is this what we want to do? I think we were both so dead set on this and just knew that it was the right thing and that, you know, it's exactly what we both wanted to do. And it was just a, a perfect fit. Yeah. And it was, it was clear that it, it was, in a sense, you know, meant to happen because we, from that point on, we started, you know, networking like crazy in Los Angeles, connecting with as many companies as we could, going to all of the official, you know, industry networking events. We continued to work on, we became the official, like, sound designers for all of Chapman's, like, student mm -hmm. VR projects. So we kind of became the official support team for that. Um, and then over the la the next, I don't know, it's been like three years now or two and a half or three years. Yeah, almost three since years. Since we started it. Um, but we, you know, we were still, we started our company while we were still in undergrad. And it was mm -hmm. um, also kind of an interesting time too because um, I graduated a year before. So Anna was actually still in school for a whole year while we were simultaneously running the company. Mm -hmm. So it was... Um, it was a monster to deal with, <laughs> but it ultimately it paid off because, it, you know, we got into the VR space right around the time that everyone else was getting into the VR space. And so that enabled us to kind of 
grow with the industry. Um, as Nocturnal was growing, the industry was expanding and moving in different directions. And so we had a chance to sort of move with it and decide where we wanted to pivot. Um, and so it was, it just, it worked out, it made sense. Um, mm -hmm. There was no other time I think that, you know, would have been better. Yeah, and um, you know, we were tag teaming it. So I was, uh, you know, going out to a lot of these Los Angeles events while Anna was still down in Orange County and kind of holding down the fort with the um, technology side of things. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, so from there we started out in 360 film, which was the closest jump from traditional content. And then from there, it just took off into all of these neighboring industries as well. So we started touching VR and AR projects, mm -hmm. and that could be in the entertainment or gaming sphere. And then from there, we've done things like immersive theater or uh, non-traditional mixing for location-based experiences. We've you know, launched into art installations or experiential pop-ups, mm -hmm. um, and it's really taken off. And we've definitely had to pivot with the industry. I think that's one of the biggest things and one of the biggest reasons why we're still here because we've been uh, very flexible and very intuitive in learning new softwares and learning new workflows and in finding ways to make spatial audio um, the forefront of these emerging mediums because it yeah. adds so much to the final project. But we've realized too that half of our job ends up being educating the client or educating the consumer on what, not only what the uh, like implications are, but also what the payoff is when, when spatial audio is integrated into these things. Yeah, I can totally relate to that personally, the evolution of technology and everything that comes with it has been very rapid. And like you said, pivoting with the industry is an absolute key you know, to stay current and that just affects every single step of their workflow, you know, from creative conception to capture to design to post-production and then distribution, delivery, etc. So I guess that's definitely one of the key takeaways for a lot of startups that kind of are involved with the very latest tech and obviously virtual reality and mixed reality and so on and so forth is certainly one of them. Can you tell me what defines Nocturnal today? Obviously, you already touched on the fact that work is very diverse and um, all kinds of interesting ideas emerging. So, of course, we have to stay flexible in order to accommodate that. But what would you say is the kind of the most common type of project or maybe type of format that you tend to come across in everyday work? Yeah, I would say it's still our, you know, the body of our work comes from just regular VR productions or 360 video productions or now more recently 180 um, videos. But it's truly, it is so diverse where every single project is so different and you have the installations and even within that realm, there's, you know, the more artistic installations versus the more, uh, you know, like set up in, a, in the center of a large event and it's a large scale installation. And so, each one um, has its own unique challenges, but I think, you know, at our core, we we started with VR and 360 and AR and all of that. And so that's been, um, I would say the most work comes from that. And that's kind of, uh, you know, the, the easy stuff. It's like the daily, like, all right, like, yeah, we can do this, we can do this. And then with the installation work or this more immersive theater site-specific type stuff, um, 
that's where a lot more of the creative challenges come in um, with mixing and, you know, figuring out, okay, how are we going to accomplish what we're trying to do here? Because this specific setup has never been done before. Mm -hmm. And at Nocturnal, one of our uh, cornerstones is story first. And the way that we interpret that is telling a story through the audio or through the mixing and how we can characterize things and humanize things through the audio experience. And that definitely comes from our background in film, but whenever we're able to enter into a project in the pre-production phase mm-hmm. and connect with a team of creatives and you know have our, our hands on that initial uh, development, it completely transforms the final result. And that's when the work is most rewarding for us mm-hmm. and when the final product is something that uh, reaches that many more people and is more effective. I think that goes hand in hand with uh, sort of educating clients on spatial audio because once they understand the capabilities of what spatial audio can do, you know, it's all around you, it's everywhere. And so when you realize that as you're writing a script or developing, you know, you're blocking um, as you're shooting a scene, all this stuff comes into play because if you utilize all 360 degrees of your visual space, that means you can also utilize all 360 degrees of your auditory field. And so that gives us a full playground and, um, you know, a much more exciting time in post-production. Interestingly, you've mentioned um, 180. So it seems like a, a step back from 360. Nevertheless, it seems to be a format that YouTube have been quite keen to push. And I'm curious to hear whether or not you would approach 180 any differently to 360. And if you do, what would that be? I had the opportunity to be a part of YouTube's VR Creator Lab as a mentor for this last cohort. And we're actually currently working on some 180 projects that are coming out of this year's cohort. So it's been really interesting to see the evolution of them pushing 360 content to now down to 180 content to try and make it Uh, more accessible to more creators. I would say that um, we're using the same mixing theory in in our placement of sounds. Obviously, you know, when you take the back half out of the experience, you know, we're not going to be placing any auditory cues back there that would direct you away from uh, your field of view. But it still allows us to play with um, ambisonic ambiences so it still feels like you're you're placing yourself within the that field, and the thing that keeps people's attention in in the you know the field where the image is actually living is spatializing the dialogue first and foremost. If instead of having a you know stereo mix headlock stereo mix for the dialogue, if we are actually able to break that stem out and track it with movement on the screen, then that will keep the viewer facing forward or looking at wherever the creator has has oriented the camera. So it, it's odd because there, there's a really large psychological component to how 360 or spatial audio is mixed. And it's really just thinking about placing yourself in an environment in real life and how do humans interact with each other and how do we orient ourselves in a space And so thinking about that and thinking about auditory cues, which the most effective ones are dialogue-based, and those are the ones that grab your attention the best and are able to, you know, orient yourself in a space, utilizing those in your story or in your media 
uh, makes for a much more streamlined and directed experience where you don't have to worry about framing mm -hmm. because you're using audio as a, an implicit way to direct the audience's attention. Can you tell us a little bit more about your workflow? What digital audio workstation do you use? What your favorite 3D spatialization tools are? Anything else that you would consider kind of indispensable tools in your workflow, uh, in your kind of regular approach? Definitely. Um, I mean, before we jump into even the, the tech and stuff, I would say on a theoretical level, our workflow, um, as we mentioned before, we love to be a part of you know, the pre-production, the production, and the post-production, if at all possible, or at least, you know, know what's going on in each of those because you can influence how the post-production turns out if you're there on set, um, you know, making sure you're capturing good audio, but also in pre-production, making sure you're utilizing the 360 space fully. Um, and so that gives you more options um, once you do get to post and you can do a lot more creative things with your spatial audio. Yeah, I totally agree with that makes such a difference. Yeah, and then as far as tools go, um, we work mostly in Pro Tools, um, almost exclusively. It's, you know, being filmmakers and coming from a film background, that's kind of the, the industry standard. Um, but because of 360, we've also um, worked a bit with Reaper, um, as well as for some of these live installations, we've worked with Ableton Live. Um, we've... As far as plugins, um, I would say definitely the Facebook 360 Spatializer has been the the cornerstone of everything. Um, that's sort of the standard, um, especially when it comes to um, with their integration with Pro Tools right now. It's you know Facebook has been working closely with Avid to essentially combine the two into one, and so now with the latest versions of Pro Tools, you have that Facebook uh, Spatializer built in and integrated, and you have third-order Ambisonic support within Pro Tools, which is amazing, because you know just two years ago, even last year, I think, that wasn't even an option. So it's really cool to see how far the tech has come. Um, and you know what these companies are doing to to really help us out, um, and it's cool too because they're, you know, there's people at Avid are working very closely with the very few sound designers, um, you know, our colleagues here in LA, um, and we're we're all giving feedback on what tools we need and what tools um, are are useful or less useful or what we'd like to see, and it's really great because they're actually implementing that and they're taking our feedback into account and. Um, you know, working with the creators of spatial sound to make the tools uh, better and, you know, faster than just hoping that they're making the right decisions. They're, they're actually talking with us, which is great. Yeah, there's a really strong spatial audio community on Facebook, actually. And that started when the Facebook Spatializer was still a startup called Two Big Ears. And so they ended up being acquired by Facebook and the rest is history, but um, that community and tight-knit um, support system has remained. And that's why the newest, the new versions of the plugin have been so helpful is because they use, as Anna was saying, direct uh, feedback from the creators that are using the tools. Mm -hmm. And so they've been very transparent. They've been very open to suggestion. And I think that really reflects on how, um, how far we've come and Oh, I'll pop. Sorry, there's a helicopter flying over us. Yeah, it shows uh, how much the tools have really moved forward, and that's very refreshing because 
audio is usually one of the, the last things on the pipeline to be mm -hmm. looked at or analyzed. Um, so uh, it's, it's been really cool to be a part of such a passionate community too of, of people that are constantly trying to better their own craft and who actually, a, a lot of people um, code their own plugins and mm -hmm. will share their own you know, plugins on this group as well. So everyone's um, you know, doing research together, everyone's giving feedback. Yeah. And so um, it really shows that, that people are, are really engaging with, this, with these newer formats. It's also really cool because, especially with the older versions of these plugins, um, you know, in their earlier forms, it was sometimes uh, you would run into a problem and you would be like, okay, is this my fault or is it the plugin's fault? Like, I'm not sure. And so you could just go on these forums, these Facebook groups and, you know, ask people your question. Most of the time it would turn out that it was just the plugin's fault. The plugin was just not yet at that level where it could enable us to do all the things we wanted to do. And so it's come a long way, even in the last two years, um, the tools have become a lot more streamlined, a lot more efficient, um, have a lot more options. And so now it's no longer, you know, trying to figure out how to go around these uh, sort of bugs that were preventing us from, you know, doing even the most basic things. It's very cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the final thing I'll say is, in, in the first couple of years, it was wild how fast things would become obsolete. Mm -hmm. So the first version of plugins that we learned how to use are, are certain tools that we would have to use to convert ambisonic or spatial audio from A format to B format to mm -hmm. a different thing, to be able to even integrate it or import it into Pro Tools, you know, then became integrated into the next yeah. plugin. And so it's become more and more streamlined. And um, I think the the work that's been coming out of this industry also shows um, the amount of care that's been placed on on bettering these tools. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Even uploading a video to YouTube with spatial audio a year or two ago was like an eight step process that's now been taken down into you know two steps: click of a button, boom, boom, you're done. Upload. So it's. I mean, it enables so many more people to work with spatial audio, and it makes it that much more accessible and easy and um, hopefully puts it more at the forefront of VR and 360. Talking about features, has there been a feature or or an option or functionality or what, whatever that you absolutely have been craving for because you sort of tend to come across that problem all the time and you just think, I wish somebody just fixed that once and for all. Can you think of anything? I, I'll, I'll say something and Animate has something different, but I think the biggest thing is actually giving editors a single button to press when they want to uh, transfer like the turnover to sound because our <laughs> biggest pain point is actually working with editors and getting the right like files like the AAF and a video mix down and uh, making sure it's all embedded. Like all of those things are actually still our biggest pain point. And that was something, that's something that we've inherited from traditional media as well. So we- Nothing's we, changed. We, we laugh about it quite often. <laughs> there are tools that do something along these lines, but I mean, mixing for VR would be great if you could do it in VR and, you know, wearing a headset and walking around the space and really crawling into, um, you know, like if you need to go over here, you play some sounds over here and you're really in the uh, the VR space, uh, moving those sounds around. I realize you, this is a podcast, you can't see all my, my hand movements. <laughs> um, 
But there are tools that enable you to mix in VR, but I think um, working on those and making those more efficient and better because, you know, they're still uh, in their early stages. That would be great. I would love to see more of that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, have you had a chance to try Dear VR? I wanted to try it for ages, and I think only a couple of weeks I had, I had, a, I had a go for the first time. It's really interesting. I, I, I was on the fence for a long time, and I couldn't figure out in my head whether it was a, a good solution or whether, whether that was something that just wouldn't work. And um, I have to say, after trying it, I'm still on the fence. There were c- certain things that I felt like, this is amazing, uh, that makes perfect sense. But then again, I, I thought back to how it approach um, like, you know, a sizable project with loads of tracks and uh, loads of editing. And, and then I think mm, maybe it's not quite there yet. I, get, I guess the truth is somewhere in the middle, as always. Um, perhaps you're going to have to do uh, a bulk of work uh, in a traditional way, because that's how tools m- sort of mostly optimize at the moment. And then perhaps leave that kind of creative spatial mixing aspect to, to the last stage. And that's where you can take advantage of being in VR. And ultimately, um, hasn't been around for that long you know it, it needs time to develop and to um like like you were talking about the two big years and um which was acquired by facebook that's been around for several years now and it has come a long way and the huge community behind it obviously played a huge role in shaping and helping to develop those tools in the right direction um obviously being in vr work like taking our traditional sort of 2d tactile workflow and putting it into immersive realm um, is a huge step. It's something very different, something that hasn't been done before. Um, I guess we need some time to to develop that and improve that. So definitely excited about what sort of opportunities will come with that. Yeah. Right, because the alternative is, you know, you have your headset next to you, you're going back and forth, all right, put the headset on, let me do some tweaks, put the headset on, yeah. look or you know, it's, it's that back and forth. And I would love to just stay in one or the other. I'm actually quite curious to hear more about how do you guys work together? Um, so I guess it's kind of more straightforward when you're on your own. I suppose it's also straightforward when you work in a sort of a, a larger team where there's certain hierarchy, certain kind of report from one to another and uh, have job descriptions. But when you run a startup and between two of you or three of you, how do you decide who's doing what? How do you decide who who has the final say how does your dynamic within the team uh, work out tell us more it's a bloody fight to the <laughs> death with every decision we no. make yeah so i would say even just going back to our background in film i would say that uh anna is much stronger at mixing than i am that's definitely where her passion lies as well and then i'm more in the effects editing realm and so kind of naturally we our, our work or our favorite things to do complement each other because um, mm-hmm. I'll do the the dialogue and the effects and then kind of pass it off to her. So what we usually do is we'll brainstorm together in pre-production or when we first grab a project, we'll watch through, uh, make notes, kind of figure out where we want the general creative direction to go, and then I'll tackle the busy work at the beginning, um, <laughs> add, in, add in effects, and then... Um, she's the one that will tackle the mix and then the spatial mix usually as well. What's been interesting in VR too is because there's so many more um, areas where you can put sounds because it's no longer just a flat screen in front of you. You got to really think outside of the frame and behind you and next to you. And so 
Um, what we've learned over time is, you know, as Helena's editing, there's a certain way we organize our sessions and, you know, mm -hmm. structure that and make it easier so that when you're going into a spatial mix, um, it, it, it's that much more streamlined and you have content to mix. That's the biggest thing is as you're editing, it's you have that much more space to fill with sounds. And so you need that many more effects and things happening um, auditorially around that space. But yeah, so working together, I think it just boils down to communication. Mm -hmm. And um, something that we had to learn pretty early on is, you know, not only how to work together, which we did in undergrad, but then how to work remotely because we were <laughs> long distance business partners. And so I think that taught us very early on the importance of staying organized and mm -hmm. staying on the same page and making sure not only all of, you know, the admin side of things we're getting taken care of but then from a creative standpoint when we actually started working on projects it became that much more imperative that uh, we settled on a direction that we um, kind of broke down the task list mm -hmm. and then we would divide and conquer um, because mm -hmm. passing sessions back and forth uh, you know can become messy if, if things aren't locked down and a workflow wasn't established from the beginning. Yeah, and being a startup too, that means we're doing more than just the sound design and the creative work. We're also, you know, running the business. And so there's all the legal, financial, marketing, mm -hmm. organizational, business development, blah, 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 blah. And what's really cool is that we also just happened to have very complementary interests and skill sets within that area. And so when it came to running the business itself, we also just kind of fell into each of those roles and mm -hmm. Uh, you know, again, communication on who's doing what, when things are happening uh, was really, really important. Mm -hmm. But I, I joke that I'm the right brain and Anna's the left brain and we meet in the middle like a, a Punnett square <laughs> or a Venn, wait, <laughs> a Venn, Venn diagram. Like a meet, Venn yeah, diagram. with like a Venn diagram. I always say the wrong thing. But um, <laughs> it's, uh, no, it's, it's, it's wild. People ask us all the time of, you know, how do you guys just work together? So And, you know, we were also warned by quite a few of our mentors about going into business, you know, with a good friend of yours. And um, I can just confidently say that I probably couldn't be in business with anybody else. So I, I feel very lucky. Do you have anybody else on the team and what do they do? And also, do you often collaborate with people externally? Do you bring anybody else to give you a hand uh, and you like, I don't know, like a specialist skill set, be it maybe a developer or a composer or, or writer? How do you approach the collaboration and uh, kind of dynamic within a wider team? Yeah, uh, we've worked with uh, quite a range of contractors that um, are sort of uh, part-time members of our team. And so Helena and I are the core members, but there are, of course, um, you know, we have our digital content uh, manager and we have our, our sound designers um, and composers and our whole team, um, our network of probably... 15 different people that we've worked with over time. Um, and what's great about that is that, uh, you know, they're they're all kind of on a freelance basis. And so we try to work with them as often as possible because we've had great working relationship. It's interesting to see the other players in the immersive tech space. And what you'll see often is with startups, it'll just be teams of two to three people because that's the only thing that can be supported Mm -hmm. So you have a very uh, tight-knit team, but often, you know, with every project, I would say we're always collaborating with someone. We're always pulling someone on board. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times we will pull in musicians who will do, you know, live sessions and we'll pull them in 
and pull those stems in and be able to spatialize music. And mm-hmm. so uh, not only trying to get new skill sets to the table, but also new perspectives or even people who maybe haven't worked with spatial audio before. We really love educating our peers on that workflow, especially if it's something that they're interested in pursuing in mm-hmm. the future. Um, and at the end of the day, it helps better our craft because the more you know creative ears that you have, the more constructive feedback that you can expect uh, to glean from projects. Mm-hmm. I think what we really value is you know diversity, inclusion, and opening up doors for other people the same way that we had doors opened up for us. And so as much as we can, we like to collaborate with, um, you know, fellow women in sound. You know, it's it's really important to us to have that, um, that inclusion. And in VR especially, I think that's been a huge focus. Um, just as an industry as a whole, people have been, I think, more aware of that um, as the industry has been growing. So as to not get to a point that perhaps like the tech industry or the entertainment industry is at currently. Um, And so that's been a huge factor for us as well. Especially for the last couple of years, perhaps longer that I've certainly noticed that industry has tried really hard to work on improving inclusion of diversity and uh, minorities and, you know, just the whole thing in general. And uh, I I think there's been a really great progress, but I, I was wondering Based on your experience, have you found your kind of running business and, you know, working in industry any harder uh, compared to your male colleagues? Obviously, you, you certainly come across as very confident and, you know, successful, collective. And But have there been any struggles at all? Is there anything you can share with us? I would say, I mean, starting a company is hard <laughs> right <laughs> off the bat. Um, yeah. And so... We've learned how to be resilient through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also being women in entertainment and tech, there are obviously things that we've uh, learned and had to combat, um, which is just access to opportunities or how, you know, it could boil down to how people network or how jobs are, you know, gifted to certain people. And so we've found uh, that a lot of our biggest champions have actually been fellow women. Mm -hmm. And some of our biggest opportunities have come from fellow uh, female entrepreneurs in the space. But that being said, I think at the end of the day, it's taught us um, to be confident, to own our work, to own our expertise, and to not feel like we're imposters in the space because we are one of the youngest teams Mm -hmm. currently working. Um, not only in audio, but also in virtual reality. And so that's something that we've become aware of, but we also actively combat. So we're we're relearning ways to be more assertive or more confident in our work and, um, you know, looking to to always better our craft and, you know, put our best face forward. Mm -hmm. And with being some of the youngest teams or with being one of the youngest teams in the space it's it's interesting because you'll have people that were working in audio you know traditional hollywood for the last 30 years and then they just recently made the jump into vr right around the same time as us and ultimately you see that this new industry has leveled the playing field it doesn't matter if you've been working in audio for 30 years or for three years it's when it comes to VR and when it comes to immersive, you're all on the same level and you're all using the same tools and you're all learning the same things and making the same mistakes because there are no rules yet and there are no 
sort of standardized ways of doing things the way there have been established in, say, gaming or entertainment. And so that's been, you know, a blessing for us because we can be on the same level professionally as, uh, you know, some of our older colleagues. Yeah. And I do want to say, though, that the spatial audio community itself has been incredibly supportive. Mm -hmm. We know all of the spatial audio players in Los Angeles, and we we actually have um, semi-annual meetups. So we have one coming up at the end of the month here. Um, but you know, every time that, that we re reach out to some of our colleagues, mm -hmm. um, they're extremely receptive, they're extremely helpful, and um, we've gotten some of our best mentorship from them as mm -hmm. well. So mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm very proud to be a part of, of that community yeah. and um, to also be able to, you know, turn around and lift other people up as well uh, who also want to pursue this career path. Obviously, London, LA are very progressive cities, and and certainly not the kind of they're representative of the full picture uh, from around the globe. In your opinion, would you say there's still much to do for us as a community? What kind of lessons do we still need to learn? What kind of aspects we need to focus on as a whole, as an industry? Yeah, I would say the biggest thing that we have come into contact with is some ageism. Mm -hmm. um, which is is odd because tech always seems to to skew slightly younger just because of um, you know people that are really willing to experiment and get out there and and um, learn the 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 newest tech that's out there. Uh, we've also come into contact with a little bit of um, you know gender discrimination we've had a few times where we've been in business meetings and we've conducted ourselves you know a very professional setting and um colleagues have have thought that we were romantically involved or romantic partners mm -hmm. um where when we're there to talk business mm -hmm. um so there's still there's still some as with any industry there's still discrimination that exists um, there are still stigmas that exist, and um, we are excited to be uh, on the cutting edge of technology and to represent not only women in tech, but female founders. And um, our goal is to, you know, keep doing what we're doing and to empower women to pursue the things that they want to pursue, um, even if, you know, looking at it, it can be daunting or it can be challenging. Yeah. Um, we want to be be able to be the inspiration for other people to to see that they can pursue uh, whatever uh, field that they want to to end up in. Yeah. What would be one piece of advice that you would share with others that really helped you in your journey, be it technically, creatively, or running a business, or perhaps in relation to what we've just been discussing, how to conduct yourself, how to react to the situation where you feel like you're coming across somebody or something that isn't just or is 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 wrong and it's could be potentially quite challenging to navigate especially for younger people who haven't got as much experience or confidence do you have anything that you would like to share with anybody else because we have listeners all over the world who are might be in a very different situations uh, from one another and I'm sure those those wisdoms and uh, ideas uh, could be quite universal. Yeah. Um, something that I learned very early on, ironically, from my, my high school uh, 
film teacher who was like a hardened former Hollywood woman. Um, I remember she looked at me and she said, don't take no for an answer. And at the time I was like, I don't know, that's hard. And then, you know, as I got older and then especially in starting this business, that's always stuck with me. Don't take no for an answer. You, you know, if you're trying to accomplish something or or get somewhere, you just got to keep pushing and keep trying to make that thing happen. Um, you know, if people aren't giving you jobs or aren't giving you opportunities that you think they should be, keep trying, keep pushing, find other avenues, you know, talk to other people, get out there. The way we've been doing it is, you know, we've been hitting up every single networking event practically in Los Angeles and running into the same people. And it's, you know, over and over and over again, you see the same faces and they see our faces. And then eventually they're like, oh, okay, you're still here. You're still doing this. Let's work together. And it's kind of that, you know, don't back down until you get to where you want to get because you can get there. It's just, it takes persistence and it takes, it takes not taking no for an answer. Yeah, and I think the the other thing too for VR and immersive tech and something that has been championed more so than than other uh, peripheral industries is that diversity always wins. Mm-hmm. Period. Um, go out there and find a diverse um, group of speakers for your next panel. Like you can do it. The people are out there, and there are more tools now than ever to find those human beings. And so there's there's really no excuse uh, for a lack of diversity, or there's no excuse to not get more people to the table. Because mm-hmm. um, not only will we gain that much more wealth of knowledge from their lived experience and their um, backgrounds, but it it really just shines a light on a, on all of us, you know, moving together or moving forward as a whole, and it better[s] our craft. It betters the stories that are coming out of of this industry, and at the end of the day, you know, it brings more people together, and I think that should be the goal of you know a technology that is meant to be social and is meant to be shared, and is meant to get people uh, to a space where they're you know intimately viewing other people's stories and and being able to approach it from a from a sense of of empathy and understanding. What's in store for Nocturnal and for you guys personally going forward? We've got some exciting things in the next in the next year. Um, we've been able to take a breather over summer a little bit and reorganize. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, one of the biggest things coming up is next year we're actually teaching some university courses, which is really exciting for us. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be returning to our alma mater, uh, Chapman, and we are teaching a virtual reality post-production course. We're also on the docket to uh, teach a course um, at OCC, which is another college down in the Orange County area, and that is actually spatial audio specific. So that's really exciting to have a full course just devoted to that one area, Mm -hmm. um, which to us feels very significantly like progress. And we're also in talks uh, with CalArts as well. So getting back into higher education is something that we're both passionate about Mm -hmm. and uh, something that just kind of uh, arose suddenly. And um, so we're excited for that opportunity. Um, But from a work standpoint... Yeah, uh, we have a number of projects coming up. We're also developing quite a few of our own projects, which has been really exciting to get to that point where, you know, we've been in the immersive tech space for a number of years now. We've seen 
what's been happening, things that work, things that don't. And so moving more into a uh, creative direction realm um, for some of these new projects um, that we'll be spearheading and uh, <laughs> trying to not say too much, but it's it's exciting to to use all these different forms of immersive tech with audio at the forefront and using audio as a real storytelling tool and as a uh, you know a primary part of the experience and then developing everything else around that um, is going to be a big uh, mm -hmm. component of these projects for us yeah. upcoming. So we've got some 180, we've got some 360. Uh, we just finished a VR project um, for a social good gaming conference in New York. We've done some training um, videos, which we'll be doing more of. Mm -hmm. um, and then the biggest thing being connecting immersive tech and spatial audio with location-based experiences and dining, actually. Mm -hmm. So that will be a really interesting uh, creative collaboration. That sounds really interesting and sounds like you've gotten a really exciting year ahead. Anna, Helena, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so for having much. us. Take care. You as right. well. You've been listening to the Immersive Audio Podcast, hosted by Oliver Cadell with guests Helena McGill and Anna Washnovich. This episode was produced by Abigail Bertram and Oliver Cadell with the help of Shane O'Hare and included music by Nobbs Bergamo. If you can, head to our page on iTunes and leave us a review and rating. It really helps us out in pushing our show further. The podcast is also available on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Visit 1618digital.com to access the show notes and other episodes. Follow us at 1618digital on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening.